welcome to another session of Connectel. We're really excited to have you today. Um, in August, we're talking about fear because it's hot out in many places around the world. And Connectel is an amazing platform to join us in conversation. We look at the intersection of work life and most importantly, community. And Tim McDonald and I are hosting um, and curating these conversations around people leadership and well-being uh, once a month and we we are so excited to have you join us today and also have an amazing group of people here to really dig deep into a topic that's close to everybody's heart and that we don't talk uh, about a lot so the next hour will be deep in conversation you can join in by uh, putting comments into the chat and also if you're following this and watching a recording, um, you can reach out to any of us for further conversation. We'd love to jump in with you to hear what you have to say. And I'm gonna um, give this to Tim to talk about a topic that's dear to his heart and introduce why he's writing a book about fear. Because for the last several months, I've been interviewing people one-on-one, -on -one, um, getting stories about how fears impacted our lives. Um, and it's always interesting, people go, well, what kind of story do you want? Do you want one from work? Do you want one about relationships? Do you want one about, you know, about being a, a expectant parent for the first time? And my answer is just tell me the one that resonates with you the most. And it's been very interesting to hear different perspectives on fear, different ways that people handle fear, different ways that people look at fear. And so I thought one of the, the great ways to kind of get this conversation going is to really just have everybody introduce themselves and maybe just explain what fear means to them. Because that, I think, will give us a better base for how we have these discussions about fear moving forward. Because what I've learned is fear is very unique to each of us, yet common to all of us. So... Jim, would you like to start introducing yourself oh, and, uh, boy, sure. and telling us your definition of uh, fear? I'm not sure I have a definition for you, but uh, everybody, my name is Jim Canto. I'm a founder of Tonic Ventures, um, solopreneur, working on breaking free from working for other people, uh, try to have sustainable independence, which I think a lot of people desire. And to me, one of the things that's, that's terrifying is to lose forward progress towards that goal. Um, it's, for me, it's not just a cliche, it's a matter of freedom. It's a matter of peace, harmony, serenity, actually being in love with my life. And I think there's a lot of people that are miserable because they're not truly in love with their life either. Um, a definition of fear I have a couple of words that might describe it. Paralyzing, debilitating, you know, um, and I think I'd probably leave it there for now, just so I don't ramble on for too long. Right. <laughs> Who wants to jump in next? Just go with it. 
Okay, well, I, I can uh, pipe in. I'm Freya Bates, and I'm president of Inner Strength Communication based in Toronto, Canada. And I've, it's an agency that focuses on internal communications and employee engagement. And that, that area is full of a lot of fear. A lot of things we're dealing with with corporations um, is all surrounding fear and anxiety that employees have. Um, but for me personally, um, I think it's been an interesting journey. My, my company's been is now five years old. And what I've learned about myself throughout that whole process, that I used to look at fear as the things that were happening around me, what's going on on the outside. And I've kind of turned that around and I realized that a lot of the fears I have are subconscious. It's really about things from my past and things that I need to deal with that I need to come to terms with so I can be the person that I'm meant to be. Tim, it's, it's, it's interesting because I moved from being a workaholic um, working in corporate America um, to being a lifeaholic. And it's been a crazy adventure of what Jim talked about, having a relationship with life. And like Priya, I came in from internal communications and leadership and strategy work um, to really look at life as a whole process. And in that process, I really learned that I, I tend to distinguish between rational and irrational fear. And I tried to stick to rational fear. So when I saw the bear outside this morning, I stayed inside because rationally I didn't want to go poke the bear. But, <laughs> but irrational fear to me is, is the thinking of like, I'm not good enough. Um, you know, all, all these stories that we make up um, that keep us um, from doing what we want to be doing in life. And so for me, the fear of, of being rational of, of, you know, my first memory in life is war. Um, I've missed some terrorist attacks. I'm just happy to be here. And I know what fear is um, in those situations because had my side um, lost the war, I wouldn't be here. And so for me, more than anything, the, the opposite of fear is what I love to talk about is how we build community, how we find our voice, you know, and, and not have that forward um, that, that fear to have like a forceful voice in the world. And I love um, this conversation because I think this is something that we don't talk about enough. Everybody's putting on their happy face in so many instances and really don't know what's happening with other people. And so I really um, am excited. I can't wait to read your book. So um, there's no fear in that. It's excitement. Well, and I, I got to say, you know, one of the, the interesting things for me was several years ago, I think I picked up the rational versus irrational fear from UIL it. And I've actually turned that into, you know, um, looking at when I have a conversation with myself and I always used to say people would put me in a straitjacket, right? If I really told them what I was doing, which is I was hearing all these voices and they were telling me different things. And my wife says she's got one on one shoulder and one on the other. And for me, it wasn't like one on each side. It was just all these different ones bouncing around in my head. And I mean, somebody might even come now with a straitjacket and take me away. So if they do, you'll know that they're just thinking I'm crazy. But the reality of the matter is this was my fear trying to tell me something. And what I've learned is that I don't want to tell my fear to go away. I don't want to tell my fear not to be there. What I do is I want to explain to my fear 
that I can listen to it. I can take what I need from it. I can learn from it, but I don't need to have it control my life and my decisions. And it's been very interesting as Ayelet brought up about bringing community and how, how we can build community is the way I got onto this whole topic is as a community builder. And when I give talks and workshops on building community, the one thing I really try and emphasize is how we build and grow that community by reaching outside of our community. And when we reach outside of our community, we're reaching out to people that are typically not like us, that are very different from us. And that was the area, that was the one point in time where I started seeing everybody raise a fear of some type about being uncomfortable about doing it, about how is that person gonna react? How are they gonna think, you know, what are they gonna think of me? What's gonna happen? And all of a sudden I'm like, I can't ask them to do this if we don't start discussing what fear is and why this is an irrational fear because we never know what's gonna happen until we actually do that outreach. And so that's like the beautiful thing for me is this whole thing is about building community has really brought me to understanding fear in a greater capacity and helping others change their mindset with it. And so, you know, I, I really, you know, I really think it's helpful. And, you know, if we just all maybe shared a, a personal story about fear, um, because this is one topic that I don't think too many of us have read too many books on fear. I don't think we've, we were taught it in school. I don't think that our, our parents really told us anything except like not to run into the street when there was cars coming, that we needed to look both ways and, you know, that we shouldn't go too far down, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, out of our neighborhood because we could get lost and, and we don't, they didn't want us to get lost. I mean, they were all pretty, I think, rational fears for us at that age, but we've been instilled, that's the only type of fear we've been taught. We've never been taught the difference between irrational and rational fear. And I think as we tell stories, we end up actually realizing kind of what these fears are. And, you know, one of the, the fears that I like to share is, you know, I, I got married pretty young and I had two boys at a pretty young age. And I made a commitment when I got married that I was never going to get divorced. My parents had gotten divorced and I said I was not going to do that. And I stayed in my marriage for 17 years and I was in a place where I had just gone so deep and so dark because I wasn't happy with my life. I wasn't happy with staying married and the way that my family was starting to be, not my kids, but my relationship with my ex-wife. But that commitment was so strong that fear had a grip on me that I could not leave that one, because I made that commitment, and two, because what would happen? I didn't know. Everything would change. I'd lose the friends that I knew. You know, I, my kids might not ever talk to me again. You know, um, you know, what would my job think of me at the time? You know, what would our neighbors think? Um, where were we going to live? Because, you know, her family was still up in the Chicago area, and we, we were living down in Florida at the time. It was all these unknown things. And I'll never forget the day that I finally made the decision that I had had enough and I was going to leave. And it was probably the scariest moment of my life. But I think later that night, I just sat and thought about it and said, now that the decision's over, what am I going to do? 
And it's all those thoughts about the fears about what was going to happen and, you know, what everybody was going to think was out the window now. It was all about what do I need to do to start my life again? And I felt like this darkness and this weight that was on me just lifted totally off of me. Now, I will say that this story has a happy ending and it has a not so happy ending, depending on how you want to look at it. You know, I went on, I it was on my own for a while. I met my current wife. I've never been happier with having a partner in my life now. I also have two boys who are estranged from me and haven't talked to me for years. So, you know, that can be another story of fear if I let it be a fear and listen to what everybody else is telling me how I should feel. But what I know inside is that I did everything I could as a father while they were growing up to know that I put two good people into the world. And if they choose that they don't want to talk with me anymore, I can't force them to have that conversation with me. And I don't need to have other people tell me that I'm the grown up and I'm the adult and I need to reach out to them because they're now adults and they can reach out to me if they want. And so I want to, I just want to explain this because I think too many times when we share our stories about fear, everybody thinks there should be this gold ending that we all get to this magical place. And it's not always magic. It's about us evolving and growing and maturing and becoming better people. And that's, that's kind of my story. One of my stories, of, I can share many stories of fear, but I don't know if anybody else has a story that they want to share about how fear has impacted their life and, and what it's meant to them and the lessons they've took. Um, I would, I would like to relate with what you were just saying. And, um, because I too went through a divorce and I'm estranged from my children. My ex looked me dead in the eyes and told me she was going to take everything I had and take my children too. And the system definitely doesn't work for, uh, for someone without the money to fight. And ultimately I went a decade without knowing whether my children were dead or alive. Uh, they are just now emerging. I have my oldest who is uh, quite a mess based on things that have happened and, and the trauma that was incurred upon her. And I could talk about that for hours and hours. And like you said, that's a whole nother story of fear, but that plays in. What I'd like to do with that though, is dovetail it to what Ayelet was saying and what I know both of you have talked about in the past, which is life working and lifeaholic and living a life that actually feels like you're alive. That's probably the biggest root of my fear right now uh, is, to, is to not achieve that or to, not, um, or to have, that, have the progress that I'm making towards that, which I have envisioned. I can see it, I can feel it, I can smell it, I can taste it, and I know, I know where I'm going. So like I, like I was telling you prior to the call, outside of the anguish that I'm experiencing currently from certain fears, I'm a very, very happy person because I see outside of the rat race, I know where I'm heading and I want to get, I want to go that direction. And anything that gets in that way uh, is terrifying to me because it's impeding on it. And you know, in this life at 53 years old, I could turn around tomorrow, have a diagnosis and it's over in a, in a month and I'm not trying to be gloom. It's just that you have to be real. So <clears throat> you factor all of those things from your past, 
I went through a nasty divorce as well. And you, you try to break free from, from the life that everyone tells you you're supposed to be living. And you try to do what you see in your mind, live from your heart, feel it, go the right direction. And then when you start to see that that's either being impeded or coming to an end, that is truly terrifying if you love the life that you're visualizing in your mind. If you love this life right here, and you know that when you get sucked back into some employment that doesn't care about anything except a few KPIs and some more money, that to me is terrifying. It's like, it, it, it's, it's another form of death that's just on top of everything else. Yeesh. Wow. It's, this is a heavy topic. I love talking about <laughs> it. I'm glad we're doing this. And, you know, I'm wrestling with the idea of feeling like I'm being uh, melodramatic and such. But I'll tell you what. I want a beautiful life for myself. And that to me is not gold-plated bathrooms and yachts. It's just free to enjoy the beauty of this world and help others not feel like they're trapped in a life that they can't do anything with either. You know? So that's awesome. it's, it's tough. And, and, and sorry, let me just add one more piece that I, that I, I wanted to make sure I, um, uh, if I can keep my train of thought here. The imposter syndrome, as you guys were talking about rational and irrational fear, imposter syndrome, I know that is such a common thing for everybody. We all feel it. I know that I have felt it stirred in with everything else that I'm kind of describing as the, the, the trials and tribulations of life along the way of trying to break free and accomplish something with very little money in the bank and all of those things that many, many, many millions of people try to do. You get that imposter syndrome as well, which is, who am I to be doing this? I'm high school educated. I'm not formally trained in any of this. Who am I talking about? You know, so you begin to question that. And then the next thing you know, you're months down the line and running out of time. So that, that's self-inflicted and that much I recognize and realize, but it's also part of the reality I'm, I'm living at the moment. You know? Okay. Thank you. Sorry. I think I think the the one thing I know uh, in the conversations we've had, Tim, one of the things I talked to you about um, is the fact that my mother died when she was 52, and uh, and this year in a few weeks I turned 52, and it feels like that number has been so um, so strong in my mind. In some ways, it's actually driven the fear has helped me move, and 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 get to where I wanted to do what I. Like, you know, I wanted to live and I wanted to experience and do some great things. And I feel like I've been running really hard, a little bit of the rat race, because will I ever make it to 52? <laughs> and now that it's almost here, it's, I, I don't, like, it's not, I'm trying to figure out, well, what, there's a part of me that says, if I, was in, if I was my mother, what would I do if I only had six months? And then there's another part of me that says, you know what, I need to do some of those other things. I need to slow down and just enjoy what I've got and appreciate every single day and appreciate the moments and appreciate the, the wins and appreciate the losses because I'm here. And, and, I, and I think that's one of the things that even with some of the coaching that I've done through, through my journey has been really about this number has been so big in my mind, but how do I make that number into something else, right? That isn't so full of fear. Mm -hmm. 
I can so relate to that Priya because I yeah. hit, I hit that age uh, two years ago when my dad died. And I, you know, when you were talking about that, I, I just felt like this total empathy about understanding where you're at and, and also realizing that that's all the time he had on the planet. And when I look back at it, you know, he's been gone half my life and I think about it and I go, wow, that was a gift. And I think that if you can change your relationship with fear, you can change your relationship with life and you start seeing things as yeah. a gift, um, even though, you know, I mean, I, this is the, this is the part that like, I wish we taught kids is that, you know, in this, in this craziness of wanting to be happy all the time, human means to be sad, to grieve, to, to be fearful, and also to be happy and experience joy. It's, it's, it's this whole gamut. It's like, it's like a box of crayons where you get to color with all these different wonderful colors and you get to experience them all in different ways. And I think having the conversation about the fear, um, you know, when I was younger, I was like, I don't want to live beyond the age of 64. I don't know why I decided that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know and and you know that's why i eternally stay 27 so i don't have to even think about it um, <laughs> um but you know i think i think there's there's a lot of fear right now that we don't talk about because it's scary and i think we don't talk about what scares us and that's what i got from like you know, when I started um, looking at the world um, through my work and seeing that we're being fed fear everywhere we go. And, you know, a lot of our systems have been for the, have been built for the lowest common denominator. And we forgot that we're these powerful creators on the planet who can go in and do other things. And if we stay stuck and mired in this fear, we can't let go. And then everybody's giving us, like as an entrepreneur, everybody's giving us all this horrible advice. Um, I think they're just trying sometimes, and not everybody, but many people, they're trying to sell us their services. I don't know what it is. But I think, I think like what Mara's doing with Connectal and what Tim is doing and what you're doing in internal communication is bringing back the lost art of dialogue around things that are important to us and looking at how do we can connect better with ourselves? How can we trust more? And, you know, those are the stories, Tim, that I think for me are really important is that building that relationship and asking myself really, really hard questions and then having fun with them because like, I don't, I don't have fun in the traditional way. Like I love heavy conversations and people roll their eyes and they go, that's too deep. I'm like, oh my God, I'm having fun. Like, <laughs> I'm the same way, Ayelet. And that's, that's what I, when I say that's what I fear losing is I fear not being on that path and truly tasting all the flavors of life because in, in, these, in the corporate roles where all they want is KPIs and the bottom line, there is no pulse, there is no life, there is no taste, there is no texture. And that is absolutely terrifying to me. And here I am needing to actually go to work for somebody and God forbid they watch me saying this, they think I don't wanna work for them. No, that's not true. If, if you're an employer with a pulse and you're alive, I'm all in. Let's, you know, let's do something meaningful, I'm down. I've got well, all the energy was, in the world to give. What was that approach you were sharing before we were recording that you wished you could go to an employer and, and say? 
I'm trying to remember the exact words that I used. <laughs> it was right around this topic, but you were basically saying you wanted to go to somebody and just put your arm around them and be like, hey, if you give me a chance. You know I'm what? I remember now. I was saying if, if they put, if I tell them my exact situation, thank you, Tim. If I tell them my exact situation, what the reality of my desperation is, what I'm actually trying to do, you know, who I want to help, how I want to help. I, I have so much to give. And that person puts their arm around me and says, you know what? I see it. I see it. I see what's going on. Let's go. I got you. You know, something like that where they, where they pull you in and, and, and take away some of that fear. Instead of just saying, you know what? I need somebody who has proven they can hit this every time, six times a month, blah, blah, blah. It's so boring, dry, and dead that it just drives me crazy. And, and if they, if someone were to do that, if someone were to put their arm around me and say, you know what, this is what I'm doing. I feel your energy. I think you can help us. Let's go, man. I'm, I'd, I'd be, I don't need but four hours of sleep a night. You know, <laughs> I'm ready to give. And that's, you know, so thank you. I well, appreciate there's, there's, I appreciate there's two reasons. Yeah. I wanted you to say that on air one, because <laughs> you're reaching more people than just the four of us that were listening to it before we started recording. But right. secondly is because this is the opportunity that we have, right? When we yes. don't express ourselves, when, when we let fear prevent ourselves from expressing ourselves, we lose the opportunity for creating the community that we, we can build. The people that we don't know that are out there that can come to us and start co-creating with us. Let's also acknowledge, I, I was just going to say something uh, that, you know, all of us uh, are entrepreneurs. Uh, it's something that we desire to do. But I work with corporations and, and companies all the time of people who love working for the organizations they work for. They love what they do inside those organizations. It's everybody's different. There aren't any rules. It's, some, it's the reason that I, uh, like my purpose really is uh, the communication that happens inside those organizations. And that's really exciting for me to, to create those connections and, and see the changes that are happening in terms of flexible workplaces and, and, uh, and wanting to get consensus and increase diversity and, and getting more collaboration happening in organizations so that they can create something together. I think it's coming. It's, it's moving in that direction. They're not doing it very well. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are or a lot very, of companies that are struggling, fast, right? that are, or, or very fast. It depends on the organization. I think you get, right. uh, uh, but I always say every organization, every uh, company that I've worked with started with a dream, started with the things that we all uh, have dreamt up for our own businesses. And then somehow along the way, when they got too big or, or had to started being publicly traded, they lost that. And we're bring we're trying to bring that back. So, so I think that there's, you know, that for me, that's the, the passion for me uh, uh, is internal communication. And I realize that so much of what we do inside organizations is help it reduce the fear and reduce the anxiety by increasing dialogue and conversation. Um, so that, and those conversations aren't the PR spin. They're not people just telling you all the good stuff. It's really about having honest conversations all the time. So you actually have a real connection with the leaders and the organizations you're working with. And, and I'd like to say too, I recognize that not every company is dead inside. <laughs> you know, there's just a lot of them that have really gone yeah. the wrong yeah. way and all they care about is the bottom line. Uh, the I'd ones, agree with you. The ones that are alive, it's incredibly competitive trying to get in, you know, and without pedigree and, and formal training, it's been a tough road for me cracking that shell. 
So, but I also recognize I don't have the pedigree and I don't have the formal training. So, <laughs> you know, I can't necessarily fault them. But yes, I, I see them out there and I, and I kind of yearn to be on a great team like that. It would feel awesome to be able to be alive on a team. So that's actually what I'm trying to, to, to bring to life independently with Ton Adventures. And I'm trying to create a, um, a co-working space where I can help people experience something different than what many, many people feel inside of these organizations when those organizations are dead and really not contributing to the well-being of that of those human beings um so you know that's why so many people yearn to be independent um because they they think it's the only path to uh to a, a, a more flavorful life than what they're experiencing inside that corporation you know but again i i do recognize that not every corporation is dead i see so many there's some really cool ones that are out there um and i i, I respect what you do I really do. It's got to be. It's it's got to be fun. And, and a lot of it, a lot of it depends on you know the level of fear within the organization. Mm -hmm. You know, and a lot of it depends on how how autonomous people are. Um, you know, sometimes I've had more autonomy when I was in the big corporate world versus working with small startups. Um, I've, I've been finding that quite fascinating and it depends on, on the people. It depends on what they put forward and how connected they are with what they're creating in the world and why they're here. And so I think, you know, it would be amazing, like it'd be amazing to have less people want to leave because we need people in corporations and we need healthy companies and we need healthy, mm -hmm. you know, in, in 2019 today, we don't even know what work is anymore. We talk about <laughs> you work. nailed it. <laughs> work, but we're very fearful of talking about what work is. You know, when I when I when I travel, people say to me, um, "Are you here for business or pleasure?" And I say, "Yes." And I, <laughs> I said, "Well, there's only life, and it doesn't matter anymore for me. Like, what, whether whether the structure is is big corporate or." Being an entrepreneur, it's about who am I spending this journey with and what am I creating in the world? And really looking at fear, um, like Tim said before, as kind of an impetus to get me closer to that rather than to be shackled by it. Because what I find is that too many people have created this, this invisible prison that they're living in every day. There's no guard, nobody needs to let you out, but people are so scared. Um, of what's possible. And if we had an, a, a mindset of opportunity and possibilities in the world instead of the fear, and of course, they're real fears. There are people working five jobs to, you know, to pay their bills, but we created this. We didn't create the oceans. We didn't create the sun. We created the stock market. We created business. Business is only 200 years old. And so with, with conversation and dialogue and even just, just communication, not internal, <laughs> you know, more people had like communication just within themselves, like Tim said, to listen to the voices and to think about like, how do I manage all that? And the companies can really be able to create the dialogue and, and look at the world in kind of this hopeful uh, rather than fearful lens. But Thank that doesn't just consume me. And, and so we have to look at the agenda. We have to be conscious leaders, right? And I think Priya, you know, you work with a lot of conscious leaders. And so maybe you could talk about that. Like, 
you know, where you see kind of the difference, because I'm curious about leaders who deal with, with fear and ones that, you know, are purposeful. Yeah, I mean, we're in a, a neat position where usually it's, uh, they contact us when they're going through disruption and they're trying to address fear, right? Uh, because they're going through changes. Uh, um, so our real, our real focus is let's, let's really get you talking. Let's, uh, let's not be afraid of what we can and cannot tell people. There are things we can't from a public, you know, legal perspective, but let's have conversations. We're really trying to drive the dialogue on conversations inside organizations so that people understand each other and that they're working together towards common goals. And, and, it's, and it's unique for every organization. I, I mean, I love what I do, um, but I always say that uh, uh, when I talk to people, uh, you know, personally or professionally, uh, you know, we all, we all like sitting in our comfort zones. And uh, then we've got what I'll call the distress zone, which is where you're in danger. But there's something in the, that layer in the middle, which I'll call, I call the discomfort zone. <laughs> And it's, it's kind of, and I've always said to the people who've worked for me and work with me, that that's the place where we grow. And so when we're going through changes with the organizations where they feel like they need to, to move in a certain direction, it's gonna get worse before it gets better. It's gonna feel really different and really uncomfortable to be having the conversations you need to have, but that's where we're gonna get the magic. And that's when it gets exciting. It's, a, it, it's work and it's hard work, and, but it's, uh, but it's purposeful work. It's uh, kind of like what you talk about, Jim, is that you, everybody feels like we're out there because we want to make a difference. That's where I feel I'm making a difference. Absolutely. I think it's kind of interesting, you know, as you were just explaining that, Priya, that I've, I've kind of, I've recognized this in myself and I've heard it from so many others that I've talked with. It's, I, and everybody said it slightly differently, but when you were just talking about that layer, right, of that, that, you know, discomfort, it's, I think the, the greater time we spend in that discomfort, the more opportunity we have for fear to take over and take control. And it's a very fascinating subject for me because I'm thinking about all the times and everybody's got different ways of handling it. But you know, it, it's like these people who say, well, I'm gonna set like an insane deadline to get this done so that I don't spend too much time there. Because if I spend too much time, I, I might, I know me and I know I might never ever get there, you know? And I'm just kind of curious if, if you found that to be true in, in your work with these organizations and these leaders, the ones that have greater chances of success about communicating effectively and not letting fear take over are the ones who are able to move through that discomfort zone a little bit quicker. Everybody who's worked for me, they've all, they always hear me say, it feels like we're taking two steps forward and one step back, uh, you know, and, and, that, and that, again, personally or professionally, it, it, it's, it's never a straight line, is it? It's, uh, you, you kind of go out there and then you're like, let me step back a little bit. And that's the same way it is with the, the organizations we work with too you know whether it, it, it you take two steps forward you have a direction you you, you make your mistakes you kind of reevaluate and then you start again and 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 for and you have to start thinking about things as progress in the right direction and that's what i've kind of learned myself to kind of sit back and say am i going in the right direction am i moving a little bit closer it doesn't it's not all the way sometimes but you're but you're at least going in a direction I was going to say you. what you just described about what they go through is kind of how I describe life, right? <laughs> <laughs>
Um, so let me ask you this, Priya. Um, I'm curious because I am my, I know that sometimes I either feel or sound rather jaded, uh, but as well, I've spent most of my time, my career, my adult career in sales organizations, you know, so they tend to be really, it, it tends to be pressure, pressure, pressure all the time. And I'm curious in your travels through multiple different companies and, and the companies that are looking for change, have you seen differences in culture, uh, in cultures of fear, if you will, or fear-based cultures from different types of organizations, maybe sales-oriented uh, organizations and such? My, you know, I think that, I mean, executives have to deliver a bottom line. They're, they're, they're asked to do that. They've usually got deadlines. Uh, you know, uh, Tim, you mentioned the deadlines. They, you, you see the leaders uh, rolling over quite often because they've got deadlines to deliver something within a certain uh, matter of time. What we do is try to get through the layers and ask, and ask them why. What do we need to do? What do we dream about? You know what? I you'll see me. I'm like forever the optimist. I'm the glass half full person, <laughs> and and it's always let's find the good in everybody who's out there. And those are the conversations we have with leaders. We find out what they're afraid of sometimes, and and it's really that's a neat place to be. I'll tell you when you're actually able to sit down with executives and they actually say, "This is what I'm afraid is going to happen." This is, you know, and, and, and when you get to that, then you actually can have a conversation about how we move the entire organization forward. That, I, I find that's, like, that gets really, because everybody, it doesn't matter if you're like the head of a big, uh, gigantic corporation, you're still afraid of something. Oh, and yeah. there's things that are, you know, and, and that's, that's really kind of neat uh, for, for when you get to that layer where you can have a conversation where people can tell, tell you what really, it, you know, what do they dream of and what do they hope happens and what's the ideal world, you know. Is it and, rare? And, Is it um, rare that you get to that point with people? Um, you know, or it with depends. Executive, so to speak. So. I don't want to make this all about uh, the work that I do, but, so I'm happy for you to move us in a different direction. But uh, but I, uh, it's it's all a matter of time. The more time we spend with somebody, and the more we have access to those leaders, and then can get to those conversations, then we're able to move. So it, it's not as rare as you think. Interesting. I, I think to build on your, your point, though, um, Priya, when we talk about us individually, right, and yeah. outside of the workplace, who do we have to share those things with? <laughs> and who can we talk to about them that isn't going to push fear upon us, but is going to actually help us co-create and help us understand that and move us in a different direction? Or people who will just simply listen, right? We talk a we talk a lot about if if we can just sit and listen. Sometimes, uh, I I have I I've seen the, the chat and I'm seeing people talk about their children and things like that. You know, I I've got uh, yeah, I hear a lot of people. I don't do everything well. I've got you know, but uh, but I think I'm trying to learn to listen more and and try to to not necessarily always have a solution. And I'm always the person trying to give them a solution. So <laughs> I, I think that's, that's a skill I think we all need to learn. Yeah, I just, I, I was talking with somebody earlier today and she was talking about how she just really has evolved as a creative when she stopped trying to create in isolation. Mm -hmm. And I really, it really sank in with me um, 
because I think how many of us that are, you know, solo entrepreneurs that are working on our own, that have our, you know, our own things going on that just work in isolation, you know, we create in isolation and we don't have that, that community built up around us of people that we can, we can share with, we can collaborate with, we can co-create with. And, you know, I, 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 I kind of, I've heard this a long time ago and it wasn't talking about fear, but it was always talking about leadership. And they said that the true leaders are the one that can stand out in front and they have all the arrows in their back. And half of the arrows are coming from people that, that are envious of them, that, that thought that they had the idea and they should be standing where they are. So they wanna pull them back because they, they think they should be in their place. And the other half of the people are the ones who love you because they don't wanna see you get hurt. And I think if we can find the people that don't want to shoot arrows, but want to step out with us, those are the people that we need to connect with. And that's some pretty, of the pretty well said. <laughs> yeah. And that's some of the hardest work you'll ever do, Tim, as you know, from my stories that, you know, seeking collaborators and thinking that you have like a shared purpose with people and realizing that you actually don't and I think that, but you keep trying. <laughs> Maybe you're just crazy. I don't know. Um, wait, I'm talking about myself. Maybe I'm just crazy. <laughs> but you're gonna have you're gonna have the straight jacket come over too, right? <laughs> um, but like, what 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 else is there? I mean, what I learned is I I don't want to work on other people's dreams. It's like it's time to create these new systems together and to step out and not to ex accept the status quo as is um, because we're fearful now, or to wait for someone else to do it because who else is going to do it? Um, and, and so how we find ourselves and, and these, this is why co-working or platforms like that, I don't even think we know what community means in today's world because people aren't really out there helping and loving and supporting other people in a way that is not filled with fear. And I think it's less than, you know, we have 7.7 .7 billion people on the planet today. That's a hell of a lot of people. And I think it's maybe less than 1% of people that are looking at what is my relationship with life? What is my relationship with fear? How do I create healthy systems? I mean, to me, that's what you're doing with exploring this, this notion of fear is like, you know, because there's so much toxicity around us, and how do we move to health and well-being, which is the channel that we're <laughs> curating here? You know, um, well-being is is being able to look at fear in the eye and say, you know, you're not going to get me because there is another way. And you know, Jim, thank you so much for for sharing what you're going through because I think billions of people are going through some of the same uh, scenarios. And you have to put on your happy face because if you don't put on your happy face, who's going to want to be around you? Exactly. And so it's, it's insane. It's just it insane. It is. It's, it, it's complete cognitive dissonance. You know, it, it just, it, because I'm in pursuit when I listen to the things that you and Tim talk about in particular, it resonates with me deeply. Tim and I had a fantastic conversation uh, one night we got together. It was the only time we've, we, we managed, um, but it was fantastic. 
Uh, you and I have come close a couple of times to getting on the phone and actually having conversations, and I'm sure we will sooner or later. And sometimes I actually don't even push for those conversations because I'm so close to the edge um, financially almost at all times that it feels like, why would I start something that's going to implode? Because if I can't figure out how to just sustain the basics, it, it feels like I'm not going to be able to stop thinking about how to sustain the basics and just think about how to create change, how to be different, how to look at life from different angles, which is really, that's the thrill. You know, that's, that's where I want to place all of my energy. I've learned plenty of lessons. I want to be able to apply those and, and discover something different and then share it with people. And that's, that's truly what I want to do. And that's why you heard me saying before the call and as I got on, the idea of being pulled backwards from that is truly the root of my fear, uh, my greatest fear right now. There's multiple other flavors I could share, but yeah, it's, it's um, to get derailed, to get derailed because it's, what are you losing? You're losing time, the, your most precious commodity of all. And, and who knows how much time we have left. It's, I can only contribute what I can like you said, there's very few people that are really even trying to go the right direction or trying to, they, they've lost hope. They stop believing that something can be different. You know, they just accept what is and march on and that, that's misery. And yeah. there's a lot of it out there. I want to help well, we change had, that. Yeah, we just had um, Michael who is joining us in the chat pop in on video. So he, he had some uh, interesting questions and thoughts on fear and children. Um, so Michael, you just want to jump in because not everybody that's listening uh, read all your questions. So <laughs> just kind of uh, give us an abscess of what you were discussing and what you want to talk about. Uh, what I was saying was that a lot of your chat was about uh, fear from the perspective of an adult and the choice as adults we have to go one way or the other. And although even as adults, we live a life and we're taught certain things, um, we can choose more often than not to agree with them or not more older. I think for children, it's much harder. And there were a couple instances I was thinking about in particular where it's really particularly harder for, for some children to have this um, choice in matter. And that's when you are a child who has domineering parents, or you're a child who is different in, in a setting that, that is something that is picked on. And you go to this place you go to every day, five days a week for seven hours or so a day, and you hate this place, but you can't escape this place. And this place that you're in is always going to be this place of fear because you can't escape this place because you always have to go to this place and you're not listened to. Uh, because you are not strong enough, you're not rich enough, you're not tall enough, you're not tanned enough, or whatever it happens to be. You don't have the right color of hair. You walk with a limp. You have an accent in your voice. All these different things that are that are different about you. And you, you don't have the choice to say, but I don't like this place, or I don't like how I'm engaging in this place, or I'd rather I'd rather uh, be uh, 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 go to this place that's nearby there. I'd rather say these things because you know if you if you act in this way as a child in the way that you, you're living your life you believe anyway if you go through and act in this way as a child it'll make it worse for you and you can't even fathom how we worse than what is now now it's terrible 
and, and not knowing what could happen if you change that. It, it's horrific to have that fear of what could happen next. What if I change? It could be better, but can I can I imagine worse than what it is? Can I can I possibly live with what's worse than what it is? I mean, now I now I now I'm kind of afraid, and I, I, I now I'm always in fear. What happens if it gets worse? How could I cope with that? Um, one example for me in my life, I had a, a horrible accident as a child. And uh, when I woke from the accident, I had no memory of anyone. And I lay in the bed. I couldn't speak. I couldn't move. And I didn't know who people were. Now, thankfully, a lot of that memory of being there, there's snippets, there's, there's snapshots of things. But I think of the children, and even adults too, who are in a situation where they haven't the ability to control their environment. And they're living in a, in, in a place inside themselves and they haven't a choice. They can't choose to alter their environment because they don't interact with their environment. Their environment interacts with them. And that's a place I think for many in our in our society who, who they don't have these physical limitations. They have mental limitations in place though, and they don't know how to stop them. So I think hearing Jim and, and, and Ayla and Priya talking about what you do for, for different organizations, for different workers in those organizations, that sounds like a wonderful thing. I think that there's a lot more needed to happen for uh, smaller places, and bigger places too, I'm thinking schools, because there are situations where a teacher will go in there with all the best will in the world, won't have a clue how to engage with the kids who are afraid. And they might not even notice the kids that are afraid because they went through school themselves and they saw this environment, it's the environment they're used to, they're accustomed to, and they don't know how to change that. They don't know that they should change that or, or what even the first step is on it. It's encouraged perhaps by their managers to, to be in this place, not have that place change. I'm talking too much. I should stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually wonderful. And I appreciate you um, reminding myself because I'm kind of consumed with my own fear at the moment. And I actually warned everybody before we started the recording that I am consumed by mine. But you're absolutely right. Um, you're absolutely right. It's for, for children. They don't have a choice. My kids didn't have a choice to end up in the in the situation that they were in. And I could tell you some really ugly stories about that. My sweetheart's also a sixth grade elementary school teacher and she teaches in Title I, which is a poorer, those are poorer kids. And I tell you what, the stories that I hear, absolutely, you are 100% correct. They cannot change it. And then just, you know, one thing life will always show us is that <clears throat> if you think it's bad right now, don't underestimate life because life will prove to you it can be worse. And that's terrifying as well. So yeah, fear has so many layers and so many flavors. And, and just like you said, another point that you made of, of uh, folks that are, that are bullied, they can't change necessarily who they are. And then the only thing that I would, that I would transition from what you were just saying, Michael, back to, uh, back to adulthood, I do truly believe that there are millions and billions of people that are in their scenario and they believe just like a child that they cannot change where they're at. I think conditions can be such that they actually truly can't. It's not some, so much of a false belief. You know, consider this. If you're, for, for many adults that are paycheck to paycheck, like they say 40% of America right now um, or 60% of America couldn't, couldn't withstand a $400 um, surprise expense. It would, it would put a bullet in, the, in, their, in their livelihood, right? So for those people, they're so on the edge. You know, what's the old saying? One paycheck away from homeless. 
that's a terrifying thing. You are truly not free to move. Yeah, sure, you're an adult of free will. You could change your careers. You can adopt new skills. You can do all sorts of things, but you're not truly free to move because you don't have the resources to give yourself enough room to actually be able to make the move. So that's something that kind of resonated through as you were describing how a child is completely stuck. There's also times where I think adults are truly stuck as well. So well, well said, I appreciate that. I think that, although I agree with your point here, that we can be stuck in where we are because of our belief system. I think there's still a case of having that mindset. And if we have a fixed mindset, there's no chance. We haven't right. a chance ever of getting beyond that point of believing where we are for staying. With the ideas of growth mindset, we, we open ourselves to the possibility that it might be possible to be different. And that's, I think, what a lot of fear can do for us too. It can, it can change our mindset. We've gone through life and this is how life has been for us and this is how life tells us we have to be and how we have to interact and that can be for us very fixing. Or we can come across one person. And it could be as a child, one teacher. It could be one friend. It could be uh, uh, one one crossing guard. It could be something simple as that. It could be a person in a shop who, who took the time to see that you were alone. And I'm not saying some sort of creepy thing. That would be horrific. But just even even smiling. Seeing you in the shop, or, or seeing that you—and this is this is maybe a, an out there example—but seeing that you're you're hungry and starving, and letting you take that packet of chips or crisps, and not stopping you, and and you see each other, and you know you both know this has to happen because you're, you're you're hungry, and that little thing there could be all that is needed for a person. So I think that what what we and this is panel here, what, what I hear you talking about, what we as people who have a choice our responsibility, our duty for those who don't is to show them away, is to be a person that they can talk to and to be a person that will listen to them and their words and, and not judge and not answer, not solve, just listen. And that's, Michael, that's a great way because um, just looked at the time and we've got five minutes uh, left and um, my role here is to, to help us wrap it up as well. Um, but I think there's a lot of wisdom in what everything that everybody shared and there's more wisdom to give. And it's, it's like, if we practice uh, what we're talking about and, and look at the conditioning, um, there's a lot of life where we spend it unlearning and unconditioning beliefs and, and, and prisons we've been put into. And that's the beautiful thing about being a human being is that you have choice in many situations and I've worked in some of the poorest places in the world through my my corporate experience and have seen what's possible with young people who have inspired me tremendously um, because they had this drive to go out and create and I would like to leave you my wrap up and then if everybody could just um, give one thing uh, for us to think about or one one thought that you want people to have from you for me it's a shift in mindset I'd like us to shift from a fearful problem solution mindset to a mindset of opportunity, of really looking at what's possible because it all it takes is one conversation and one connection and one person to believe in you that just like you said before, that could make a huge difference. So um, Tim, I'll let you, I'll let you close, but uh, Priya, what is your, your one message? And then Jim, what is your one message? Okay. I, I think very similar along your lines that uh, that what we learn is uh, to embrace some of the fear and and really think about what it's taught us. 
um, and, and how it's helped us move forward. And, and, and I think there's opportunity in that uh, because I think we, we all want to have hope. Jim? And right behind you with that, I'll tell you this, one of my things, aside from any doom and gloom that anybody might be picking up from me, I'll tell you this, be inspired because you can. And Michael, you joined in late, but we still want to hear yours. <laughs> I think that I like the, the idea of something called the four agreements. And the fourth agreement of the four agreements is always do your best. And what will happen is that your best will be good some days and better other days and atrocious the next day. Do your best regardless. And, and if you're having a bad day, you have to do what you can do. If you're able to do something, do it. If you're not able to do it, well, you, you, you're not able to do it is one thing, but do your best. Do your best for yourself, do your best for others. Thank you. And I guess I will leave you with the title of what I'm calling my book, which is Creating a Healthy Relationship with Fear, which I guess takes into a lot of what everybody said. It's about how we change our mindset, how we shift our, our, our thinking about how we deal with our fear how we start rationalizing you know, our fear and knowing what's irrational about our fear because fear has a way of presenting itself as rational fear so many times when in reality it's irrational. So that will kind of wrap it up for our conversation here on the video. And I wanna thank all of our guests for joining us today, but I wanna rem remind everybody that you have the opportunity to connect with all of us here others in the community by going to the Connecto platform and joining our, our connected network over there. Um, this one's on wellness and we have a bunch of different topics, a bunch of different people you can connect with and please um, join us there so you'll be updated on future conversations. And if you have a topic, if you have an idea that you wanna participate, um, just reach out to us there and let us know. We'd be happy to have you. Thank you everybody for joining us tonight on Connecto.